0: amen good morning happy thanksgiving i I didn't even realize that thanksgiving was this thursday until this morning i looked at my phone and i'm like thanksgiving is this thursday like it's coming up quick i hope that um, everyone has uh, great plans so far for what you plan on uh, doing and family members that you plan on having over to the house, or you going over to family members' homes, or whatever it is that you plan on doing this Thanksgiving, I hope that it's encouraging for you and for your family. It looks like we've got Tanner and DeAsia back in the fellowship here with us with their new baby right here that Tanner's holding. I caught him off guard. He's kind of like, why are you talking about me, Tony? <laughs> All right, well, let's move on from Tanner into Asia. Eric Cooper is back in the country. Great to have Eric back in. Long tour of deployment in Japan, and now he's back and he's here to stay, right? Here to stay, so that's great, and I know Alicia's fired up about that too. Uh, turn with me to John chapter, where are we? 14, John chapter 14. If you could put up my slides for me too, please. Uh, last Sunday, we had a, a um, Southside combined worship service at Salem Middle School. And before Ed preached, um, he made an appeal for our camp, our children's camp that we had. It's, it's just north of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, for those of you that were not there last Sunday or were not there this past Wednesday, when I explained this, I wanted to repeat this appeal because our deadline's coming up December the 8th. Um, a lot of our kids have been affected by camp, um, have kind of grown up in camp summer after summer, um, have had the chance to build great relationships, great friendships, have had the chance to serve, have had the chance to be trained, and camp has been a transformative place for them. And the camp had fallen on some hard times a couple of years ago. And we were trying to buy the camp, and we had like a cupcake drive where cupcakes were literally selling for like hundreds of dollars for one (laughs) cupcake in an attempt to raise money. Um, Those efforts uh, were good because we had an angel investor who came in and and was able to donate a large sum of money so that we could purchase the camp, and the camp is now our camp or the ACR's camp. So that's a great thing. However... Um, Because of some issues with the local government and some tax, basically, issues that are going on, there is a current shortfall, and this shortfall is significant enough that if the need is not met, there will be no more camp, i.e. we will not have camp even as soon as this upcoming summer. And so uh, the camp is putting out a plea to all of the ACR churches, not just us here in Hampton Roads, to give... Um, Whatever we would normally give on a weekly basis, right? Just one time, one weekly offering, whatever you'd normally give, give that for the continued support and operation of the camp. Now, since the the situation is kind of tentative in terms of the local government there, they're not 100% sure that even if we gave all of the money that we would still be able to keep the camp, And so we don't want to give good money after bad, especially to a bank, right? And so we're we're going to be collecting this money. The money will be held in one place, but it won't be released uh, to the camp until the accountants at the camp are secure and confident that once they receive the money, that it would be applied to the proper place and we would be able to keep the camp. So I'm just telling that to you just so that you know and you feel... Uh, comfortable and in case you had any questions about good money being thrown after back. So um, again, our, our collection will be December the 8th. If by some chance the money cannot be used to help the camp, then that money will go towards the 2020 special missions contribution, okay? So it would still go to a good uh, place and to a good cause, There are three ways that we can give. Even though the collection is December the 8th, we can begin giving today if you want. The first is by the church website, hamptonroadschurch.com. Go to wherever you normally go for e-giving. You'll see a drop-down box that says, like, special camp collection. You can give that way. The other way you can give is if you're um, more of the techno-savvy person, you can give through Venmo. The church has a Venmo account at Hampton Roads Church. You can give there and just put like camp in the comments or you know, special camp collection in the comments, that's fine. Or if you still are one of those that writes checks, I, I have not written a check. It's had, what, eight years, nine years at least since I've written a check. But some of us still write checks and that's totally fine. Um, you can still write a check with camp in the memo And give it to, um, just put it in the collection, whether it be a Wednesday or Sunday, and the counters will sort it out and be sure that it gets to the right place. Um, Again, the need is real. The cause is just. And uh, we do believe that as we put this out there and as we pray about it, that God will bless it and that God's kingdom will continue to be advanced through the generosity of the camp and also through the children that are continued to raise up at camp as well. Amen? Amen? So I just wanted to be sure that everyone knew about that. Um, Again, because the deadline is coming up. So, John chapter 14. Uh, For this morning's message, we're going to continue where we left off last time. Not last week, but two weeks ago. And Jesus is in the last hours, literally, of his life. Um, He's just had the last supper with the twelve. He's just come from the upper room. And Jesus has shown his love to the disciples by washing their feet... And he has foreshadowed his sacrifice by doing that. Judas has left to betray Jesus. And Jesus tells the 12 that he's leaving and that they should love one another. As Jesus tells them that he's leaving, this obviously causes a lot of anxiety and stress within the disciples. And they begin to ask some questions. Peter basically says, where are you going and why can't I come? Jesus answers that question. Thomas says, well, how do we know the way if we don't even know where you're going? Jesus answers that question. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And then Philip, he has a question. Um, Philip's question is, Lord, show us the Father. I know that you're leaving, but if you just shows the Father, we're good to go. And I think a lot of us probably feel like, hey, if I saw God, I mean, what else would I ever want? What else would I ever need, right? I mean, I have no more faith questions if I just saw the Father. So I could understand where Philip was coming from. Uh, the last time that we uh, went through this, we uh, covered the first half of Jesus' answer to that question. Today we're going to cover the second half of Jesus' answer to that question. And then an additional question that's asked By Judas, but not Judas Iscariot, a different Judas. And so, uh, what we talked about last time was that since their hearts were troubled, Jesus gives them the ultimate solution to the worries of the human heart. Whatever trouble it is that we all have, have or share this morning, whether that's financial issues, emotional issues family issues, marital issues, whatever work issues, just issue issues, whatever kind of issues we've got going on this morning, the ultimate answer is have faith in Jesus. That is the ultimate answer. Now, I know at first glance that may sound trite, you know, well, just have faith, right? I mean, everybody says that. You get that on coffee mugs, have faith. But sometimes, like, what does that really do? You know, just tell somebody to have faith. It may sound overly simplistic, like surely things are more complex than just have faith. It may even sound insensitive, like, bro, you don't understand like, what's really going on in my life, you're just kind of glossing over my troubles by saying have faith. But it is the ultimate solution, because if we have faith in Jesus, whatever troubles that do not get worked out in this life will definitely get worked out in the next life, okay? Okay. And that's why having faith is the ultimate answer to our life's questions. We're not guaranteed to have everything work out in this life. We're not guaranteed to have great health, to have great finances, to have the marriage of our dreams or even the children of our dreams. None of that is guaranteed. But if our faith is in Jesus, guess what? Peace and eternal life is guaranteed. And whatever light and momentary troubles that we face in this life right now for the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, if you're lucky, years that we get to live, it will be a blip on the map in comparison to heaven and eternity with God. And so how can we hope to be encouraged by Jesus's answers this morning to Philip's question and to Judas Iscariot's question? Well, Our hearts may be troubled, but as we love Jesus and obey his commands, God will comfort us through his spirit, reveal himself to us and leave us his peace. And since it's the same conversation, I'm going to stick with the same title. You could hit my next slide for me, please. Let not your hearts be troubled, except now we're in part two. Let not your hearts be troubled, part two. Let's pray. And we'll read our passage for this morning. Father, we come before you this morning wanting and seeking to worship you, wanting to to lift you up in our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits. We want you to be first. We want you to be magnified. We want you to be glorified in our lives because we know that you really are the answer to all of our heart's troubles to all of our heart's worries. And God, as we place our faith in you this morning and every single day, we trust that you will help us to work through life's issues, that you will give us the perspective that we need. And Father, we know that, that you allow troubles in our lives to help us to become more like Jesus. So let us not expect perfection out of this life since we live in a fallen world. But Father, help us to expect perfection out of you and perfect perspective on the worries and the troubles of this life. We rest our faith and our hope in you. We look forward to seeing you at the last day, when the clouds are rolled back, when the trumpet call is sounded, and when your son descends from heaven and we're caught up to meet him in the air. Father, thank you so much for your word as we get to read it, as we get to experience it and live it. We pray through Jesus. Amen. 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 John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, we're going to read through verses 31. Again, this is the continuation of Jesus's answer to Philip when Philip asked, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Or... Let's blow this hot dog stand. (laughs) Just two points this morning. The first is the comfort of the spirit. The comfort of the spirit. Philip had asked again, show us the father. Jesus had already answered Philip by telling him that if he had seen me or seen Jesus, then he'd already seen the father. But Jesus seeks to comfort the 12 in, in an even greater way than that. And instead of Jesus staying with them in the flesh, helping them, he promises to send his spirit to not only be with them, but to live inside of them forever. And it's conditioned upon them continuing to love Jesus and obey his commands, but provided they persevere in faithful love and obedience once he's gone, guess what? They will receive this very promise. And so, who is the Spirit? In John, this is the first time that we're introduced to the Spirit. And so, let's talk about who he is and see what we can learn about the Spirit from these few verses that we've got here this morning. He is the least understood part of the Godhead. As you read through the Bible, obviously, there's a plethora of verses all about God. And once we get into the Gospels, there's a ton of them. The Gospels are all about Jesus, the Epistles. All about Jesus. So we know lots about God, lots about Jesus. We know less about the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 16, sorry. Jesus says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate. Advocate. This word here could also be translated as helper or counselor. ...or intercessor. The Greek word is paraclete. Um, It's one who comes alongside to help someone else. It's like a defense attorney. We've got a brother in the church, uh, Rodolfo Sejas. His son is sitting right here. But um, Rodolfo's job is to defend really bad people. And Rodolfo's told me some really insane stories of people that he has to defend. But these guys have done like the most heinous of crimes... And Rodolfo comes right alongside them and he stands up for their within their legal boundaries for their rights. Right. To be sure that they are defended in a proper way. The paraclete or the Holy Spirit is kind of like that. We've all done like really bad stuff. Right. And, and the Holy Spirit comes alongside of it's not it's not a complete one to one analogy, you know, with with Rodolfo. But the the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he uh, intercedes before the father. And as we've done something wrong, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, well, you know what, Um, Lord, that price has already been paid. Here's the, the, the piercings in my wrist right here. They're free. You can let them go. And then as we do more stuff, guess what? He comes right on alongside again. And he continues to plead and plead and plead on our behalf before the father night and day so that we can be washed clean so that we can be declared innocent, not guilty in front of the father. This is what he does for us when you're troubled, when you're accused, the paraclete is beside you. The other thing that we see here again in verse 16, it says that Jesus says he will give you. Another advocate, another one, right? Uh, And so in English, another can mean same as or different from. That's just the way the English language is. The English language has a small number of words in comparison to many other languages. And so we end up having multiple meanings for the same word, kind of a drawback of English. In Greek, another has two different words that has two different meanings. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, if I, I bought this shirt, I got this shirt for Christmas or whatever. How, when did I get the shirt? Cookie, did you buy? Cookie buys most of my clothes. So Leslie bought this shirt for me anyway. So it, it's kind of like, you know, I get this shirt for Christmas and I tell Leslie, I say, honey, I really like this shirt. I want another one. Right. She will go back to wherever she got the shirt and she'll get another shirt just like this one. Or I can say, honey, I don't really like this shirt. I want another one. You see what I'm saying? Then you go back to the store and I get another shirt that is unlike the shirt that I currently have. English, two meanings, one word. Greek, two different words. The word that Jesus used here for another is one that is same as. So he's saying that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, is another advocate like Jesus. And so as Jesus has been with you, as Jesus has walked with you, as Jesus has loved you, Jesus has taken care of you, Jesus has kind of overshadowed you and made sure that you were were okay. then you know what? The Holy Spirit is another advocate like that. And he will do the things that Jesus has done for you. That's an encouraging thought. The other thing that we understand from this is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is God. And I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a fluidity that Jesus has as he speaks about himself and the father and the spirit to where you don't really kind of know, well, who's doing what and who's Talking of who? Jesus talks about I am in him and he is in me. Like, who are you talking about there? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. There's this fluidity that's there, right? I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you be with you forever. The world cannot accept him, right? For he lives with you will be in you, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans, verse 17. I will come to you. I thought you were talking about the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? It's like... As Jesus talks, it's like he interchanges yeah. the Father, himself, the Spirit, and he uses all of them kind of all in the same way. Why is that? It's because Jesus is God in the flesh, and the Spirit is the Spirit of God. Yeah. The Spirit is God. Jesus is God. God, obviously, the Father, is God, although they are not the same. And I, and I didn't put up the little graphic that I've used in, in the past, a little triangular thing that I had Look it up online. You can find it. But this, this Trinitarian uh, view is, is, is evident throughout the scriptures. But, I mean, who can understand it? Who can explain it? I can't. I just know what I read. And, you know, I would assume that that's all we should know, too, is what we read. Anyway, the other thing that we see about the Spirit, what have we talked about so far? That he's the advocate. He's another advocate. He's God. Um, He's referred to by the masculine pronoun he. Right. Did you catch that in verse? uh, Where am I again? 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept who? Him. Because it neither sees who? Him nor knows who? Him. But you know who? Him. For who? He lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is always referred to by the masculine personal pronoun of he. Never is he referred to as it. The Spirit is personal. He is the third person of the Trinity. He's not an invisible force or an impersonal law of the universe like gravity or entropy or something like that. And this is important because if we see the Spirit as an impersonal force... We will respond to him in an impersonal way. And we will try to use him. Just like Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, right? Return of the Jedi, he's flying flying the the, whatever, the the, the X-Wing fighter or whatever. And then Obi-Wan Kenobi tells him, Luke, use the force. Use the force, right? And then Luke turns off all of his little radars and stuff in his ship. And he just starts to whatever, go on force power. He's like, I got this. You know, these shoes and the Death Star dies and all this different stuff. That's not how the spirit is, right? We don't use the spirit, right? Like life is going bad. Well, let me use the spirit, you know, and in the spirit, I'm, I'm going to like capitalize on the spirit and I'm going to harness the spirit. And, you know, once I do that, then, you know, things are going to happen because I know how to whatever, manipulate the spirit and his power. It's not like that. If the spirit is personal and God is this spirit, we will respond in a personal way and let him use us. We will surrender to him. We will serve him. We will ask him, how do you want to use me today? And we'll have a completely different perspective. The spirit is not an it. He's a he. Verse 16, we see kind of his role. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Why? To help you and be with you forever. And so the Spirit is there to help us and to be with us. When we're wrestling, he's there. He's there to help us when we're tempted to sin. He's there when we're in those dark places in our lives. And he comes alongside us when we're confused to clarify things for us. He's there to be a companion for us when we're alone. This is the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And then at the end of verse 16, it says forever, forever. These guys had been with Jesus for three and a half years, right? And so he's telling them, listen, I've been with you for three and a half years. But when I give you the Holy Spirit, he's going to be with you forever. And they're thinking, oh, wow, like that's incredible. And obviously, we get the benefit of that because we're on the other side of the Holy Spirit being given. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us forever. He does not leave. Later on in the passage, we see that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's not the spirit of falsehood. The Holy Spirit is trustworthy. He's reliable. We can trust where he leads us. We can feel secure and safe in following him wherever he goes. He's seen and his presence is known and felt in believers lives, but not in unbelievers lives. He's not seen and known by the world. He cannot be accepted by the world. And verse 17 says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But according to the same verse 17 in Acts chapter 2 as well, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is inside of all repentant and baptized disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a great thing. Amen. He dwells within us. And isn't that kind of a weird thought or feeling like God in me, like of all things or people. You know what I mean? In me. You ever have somebody come over to your house and you feel like, man, I got to clean up before they come over. Right? That's kind of like how we should all be feeling. Like, the Holy Spirit, like, He lives here. Like, I can't have no dirty house with the Holy Spirit living up inside of me. How am I going to have, like, nasty old, hidden, crusty old sin all up in the back of the house when the Holy Spirit's living here? I got to do some deep cleaning. Get out the bleach. So that my vessel, my life, my house can be holy. And the Holy Spirit can have a satisfying stay as he dwells within this temple. His purpose is to testify about Jesus and to glorify him. This is later on in John. And that's what he's working toward. And that's what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. He's trying to bring out Jesus. He's trying to bring out Jesus. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And in this passage that we've read, in particular in the beginning part, Jesus speaks in a future tense. He keeps saying, this will happen, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate. Lots of will, 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 speaking about the future. And because at the time the Holy Spirit had not been given, or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit had not been given at the time. The Holy Spirit worked upon people's lives, but not inside of people's lives. And this prophecy would be fulfilled just about 50 days later at Pentecost. And could you imagine what if Philip never asked the question, Lord, show us the Father? Like we wouldn't even have like all this like rich stuff about the Holy. Maybe it would come out some other way. But I mean, praise God for disciples that are inquisitive, right? And don't know what they're talking about and just kind of ask random questions because We get the benefit of learning lots of stuff about God. And so we enjoy the fulfillment of this prophecy in our lives today. We have the strange honor of being vessels of God's Holy Spirit. Again, when we're troubled in heart, he's there to come alongside us and to comfort us. When we're accused, he's there to tell us that we're loved and that we've been forgiven. And this is all as we love him and obey his commands. As we love him and obey his commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. What's he saying? He's saying that as we love him and as we obey his commands, guess what? He's going to reveal himself more and more to us in our lives. If we do not love him, if we do not keep his commands, guess what? We're going to have a really hard time seeing Jesus. He talks about obedience. For us, the evidence of love is a warm feeling. I love them. Oh, ooey gooey, you know, Ooshie gushy. And I'm not saying those feelings are bad. Those feelings are great. God has given us those feelings. But for Jesus, the evidence of love is obedience. He doesn't talk about like an ooey-gooey feeling. He talks about obey as the evidence for love. How does being asked to obey make you feel? Is obey the, the, the bad four-letter word? It is a four-letter word, O, B, E, and Y. But does that offend you to be expected to obey? Do you feel like ain't nobody telling me to obey nothing? I get to do whatever I want to do. Like, come on, we've all got to be under some kind of authority. We've all got to submit to something. We got to submit to Jesus here. Obedience is not a dirty word. Adults, dogs, children, we're all happier when we obey. We're all happier when we have boundaries to run within and when we're obedient. Obedience springs from love, and it brings a security and a joy. And when we love someone, especially someone in authority, we want to please them. When I go home to visit my mom in Indiana, I expect when I get there that she's gonna ask me to go to the grocery store for her, that she's gonna ask me to fix something around her apartment, that she's gonna ask me to take out her trash, Go get her mail. Two times ago that I was there, she asked me to build one of those huge shelving units. You know, where you got the instructions and you got to like twist all the weird bolts and everything else. But you know what? It was a joy for me. It's a joy. When I go home and I see mom, you know, I'm like, come on, let's go. I'm ready. Whatever you want me to do. You need me to drive you here. You need me to drive you there. Doctor's appointment. What do you need? Because my mom loves me. And I don't do those things to, to, to get her to love me more. I do it because she loves me so much. Yeah. Because of everything she's done for me, I want to do for her. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's a joy. It's not a burden. I'm not rolling my eyes, huffing and... <sighs> Here she goes again. Wants me to go to the store. <laughs> not at all. Not even close. Not even close. My love and my obedience is a response to her love. It's a response to everything that she's already done for me. The spirit helps us to obey. And like a really good friend, he comes alongside us. He strengthens us when we're weak, but he also convicts us when we're rebellious. And he loves us so much that at times he's even willing to be against us. He's willing to confront us with ourselves. And Philip asked, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus is saying that you will see the Father as you love and obey. Then you will see the Father, Philip. He's going to reveal himself to you more and more as you love and as you obey. So if you're having a tough time with obeying, don't focus on grinding it out. Oh, I've just got to obey some more. What I got to obey now and tell me exactly how I got to obey it, because I'm just going to do the bare minimum. (laughs) Right. Don't be like that. Don't even worry about the the doing the working. I got to be more disciplined. Consider God's love for you. Meditate on God's love for you. Turn over the verses in your mind over and over and over again. Consider Jesus' sacrifice for you, right? That the king of glory for the, 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 the trash heap, right? Consider that exchange. Consider how much you've been forgiven of. Consider how we're all worthy of death and how none of us deserves anything but death. But we get life instead. Consider that. And why that is, it's because God loves us. And as we consider that, guess what? If you have any smidgen of tenderness in your heart, you will want to respond by loving God back. And you will be fired up to obey. And through this, he will reveal himself to you more and more. You're moving faster than I am with the slides. But keep it there, because that's my second point. The spirit dwells with those who love him. Judas asked this clarifying question in verse 22. But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Basically, why are you showing yourself to us and not everybody else? Up to this point, Jesus had already been amongst everybody, right? Everybody was able to see Jesus, have somewhat, uh, some kind of access to Jesus, Um, He had been with his followers. Jesus had been with tax collectors and sinners. And Philip asked the question because Jesus had said that the world wouldn't see him anymore. And so Philip is puzzled by that. Like, wait a minute, you've been around everybody all this time. But now you're saying that you're leaving. And when you come back, everybody's not going to see you. But I thought that you wanted everybody to see you, right? Because isn't that like how you want people to follow you is by seeing you? So he was really confused by this. Jesus, he doesn't give like a, like a really concise answer. He simply repeats what, he, what he's already said. Right? That's what Jesus says. He says here in verse um, 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's exactly what he said in verse 21. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our... Home with them anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching these words you hear are not my own they belong to the father who sent me so don't get mad at me those are God's words right and so those who love and obey Jesus will be the ones who see him and enjoy this new rich relationship of the spirit living inside of man the world does not love and obey Jesus that's why the world does not see Jesus And a lack of obedience points to a lack of love, and this describes the world. So many say they love Jesus, many more don't even say they love Jesus. But so many say they love Jesus, but they are clearly disobedient. And the world will not recognize or accept the spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of you. That is why even pseudo-Christians, the religious world, that's why they don't understand the decisions that we make. The sacrifices that we make. Why would you go to church on Sunday and on Wednesday and on Friday and your friend in the church is getting married too? And then you're going over to your other friend's house for dinner? Like, isn't that a whole lot of church? And how much money are you giving that church anyway? What are they doing with that money? Right? That's what people think. They don't see, they don't know, and they don't accept the Holy Spirit. But he will come and he will make his home with those who love Jesus and obey his teaching. If you're here this morning and you've never enjoyed the riches of God's spirit and you would like for him to come and make his home inside of you, decide to surrender. Decide to give up. Turn to Jesus completely. Love him. Obey his commands. Jesus wants to dwell inside of every single person. But the house has to be clean. He don't want to come up in no stinky house. (laughs) Get out the baking soda and the bleach. Was that like too, like just too, she's cutting, like, okay, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Here in the end, verse, I'm winding up here. Verse 27, uh, Jesus says, "A peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He circles back really to what started the conversation at the very beginning, their anxiety, right? Uh, He said that he was leaving and they freaked out through the spirit. Jesus is leaving them his peace, but he's not giving the way that the world gives. How does the world give? Well, the world wants something in return. Jesus does not expect anything in return. He's giving out of his generosity the mercy and the joy of his heart. And he wanted them to have the right perspective. He says that if you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going back to the Father. You wouldn't be, you know, uh, crying and boo-hooing and everything else. It's kind of like when we go to funerals of disciples, right? And I, and I get it. Hey, I understand. You lose a loved one, it's hard, right? But when it's a disciple, you know, there really should be some joy that's there because that disciple is now in paradise. They're like enjoying Life, if you want to call life the next life, and we're boohooing many times, not every time, many times we're boohooing because we're looking at ourselves and we're suffering the loss again. Granted, it hurts to lose somebody, but I'm just saying at the same time, sometimes we're, we're really looking at ourselves more than we're considering the other person. And Jesus is saying the same thing. Listen, I'm leaving. You guys are all looking at yourselves. You're upset because I'm gone, but I'm going to the Father. Isn't that a good thing? And that is a good thing because that's how we get the Holy Spirit. If Jesus didn't go to the Father, we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit. And so it is a good thing. He's saying that if we truly loved him and had his best interests in mind versus their own, they would be glad. All right, let me just close up here. Jesus' leaving was a good thing for them and for us. Without him leaving, he wouldn't have sent the Spirit whom we are filled with and whose comfort we enjoy every single day. Let's not let our hearts be troubled. Remember, the phrase there is referring to something that's already in progress, and Jesus is saying, stop it. So he's not saying, don't let your heart get troubled in the future. He's saying, hey, your heart's troubled right now. Stop that. That's what he's saying. Have faith. But that's so trite. That's so pithy. You don't understand where I'm coming from. Have faith. Whatever it is that you're going through, it's going to be done in just a few years. It will be over. Have faith. If you do not have faith, guess what? Those problems will continue for all of eternity and they will get worse. Have faith. Wow. God has given his spirit to comfort and to counsel us and to live inside of us forever. He is the spirit of truth and we can trust him with our lives. Amen. And as we take this message of the Holy Spirit to all of Hampton Roads. Let's love Jesus. Let's obey his commands. And as we do, he will reveal himself to us more and more. And we will have his peace. Amen?